again, my name is Mark Worley, and I'm, with, I'm a vice president at Dallas Christian College. And I say back because it's been a long time, but I've been here before. Uh, we had a group of high school young people that, that would tour a lot, uh, still do, uh, called Saltines. That's singing and living truth, not the crackers. And uh, so it's high school young people who come and, and uh, rehearse for a week and then tour for a week. And so, uh, boy, some great people out of, uh, out of this church came and shared. One of my favorite, okay, I'm just going to say you're not supposed to have favorites, but I did. Uh, Jennifer Headley, I don't know if you know her, but wow, she's awesome. And she was like in four, four years, and she was one of the most amazing humans on the planet. So if you don't know her, get to know her because she's uh, fantastic. So, but it's good to be back. Hey, um, I want to share a joke with you. Okay, it's not that funny. I'm going to tell you up front. Okay, so, here, here's, so here's the deal. Uh, this guy was skiing, snow skiing, and he was going uh, way too fast. It's happened before. And he got out of control. happened with me. Uh, but he went over a cliff. And so he's, he's hang, he, he grabs a hold of this branch, and he's hanging on the branch. And he's yelling, help, is anybody up there? Is anybody up there? Nothing. So he yells, he yells louder, help, is anybody up there? And finally this voice says, yes, I'm here. And the skier says, oh, great, who is it? Can you help me? And the voice says, this is God. Just let go, and I'll catch you. It's a moment of silence, and the guy says, is anybody else up there? <laughs> okay, you laughed. Wow, hey, you don't be, uh, okay. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I laughed too at first because it wasn't that good. But anyway, I, I laughed about it, but, but then I started thinking about it. And I thought, wow, we're like that. I mean, the church is like that. Christians are like that. We're hanging on these branches, and maybe we don't know what to do in life, or, or, or maybe there's some huge thing in our life, and we're going, hey, is anybody up there? And God's saying, hey, let go, and I'll catch you. And we go, yeah. Is anybody else up there? I'm not sure I want to give everything. I'm not sure that I want to give all my belief. I'm not sure I want to put all my eggs in one basket. God. And so we hang on. Uh, this morning, that's what I want to talk about. If you have your Bibles, open those up, would you, to James, the second chapter. I was doing some, I don't know, I was just doing some personal Bible study stuff, and I ran across this passage, and theologians have always debated for a long time whether we're saved by faith, or we're saved by works, or how does that all work? And so, you know, I thought, I'm just going to really dig into this and see about this. So let's take a look at this really somewhat complicated theological passage, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at it. James, the second chapter, we're going to start with verse 14. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? You know, that's a, that's a scary question. That's a really scary question. I mean, Jesus, in Matthew 7... <clears throat> He says, there's going to be many who on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. And that verse scared me a lot. I don't know about you. Okay, if, 
if you're not nodding no, then okay, okay, something's wrong. But, but man, it kind of bothered me. But then he, then he goes on and he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but knows nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? I got to tell you, James is pure Hebrew. He's a Jew. And he's writing this really from a Jewish perspective. You'll see that in a couple of things that he shares, like our father Abraham, those kinds of things. So what he's talking about from a Jewish perspective is pretty powerful. In fact, I've been to Israel a couple of times, and I got to tell you, Israel, you know, we think of it sometimes as a desert, but it's not. It's Mount Zion. And so you go up, it's kind of like here, you know, in New Mexico. You, you, you know, you're kind of in flatlands, and then you come up on the mountain, and it gets pretty cold at night. It gets pretty cold. And so that's what James is talking about. These people who get cold at night, or they lack food, and we say, hey, be warm and filled, but we don't do anything. In the same way, look at verse 17. This is, this is that verse that we might have all heard. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. We're going to come back to that. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God, that's good. Now, i got to tell you, right there, there's a Jewish phrase because that's a part of the Shema. It's from the Old Testament. And every day, Jews would wake up and say, our God is one. And they would say other things there too, but, but that's a part of it. And so James is saying, uh, you know, hey, you believe that there's one God, that's good. But even the demons believe, and they shudder. You foolish person. You want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father, Abraham, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You also, or you see that his faith, now this is, this is one of those incredible verses. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete. Incredible passage by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome to be called God's friend? I think that'd be cool. Yeah, my, my good friend God, you know, that'd be awesome. You see that a person is considered righteous by what he does or by what, by what they do and not uh, by their faith alone. So, he says, in the same way, even was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, so that begs the question, are we saved by faith? Are we saved by deeds? And the answer is yes. But how does that work? How does work get produced by faith? And we're going to talk about that. Because you got this concept of work versus faith. Are we saved by works? Are we saved by faith? And it seems like the Apostle Paul and James are in conflict. You know, oh, we got, we, we got them, we caught the Bible in a contradiction. No, no, no. Paul says in Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 and 9, he says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But faith, without our natural response, is non-existent. So here's the deal. Works 
don't produce faith. It doesn't, you don't do works to get faith. You don't come to church and go, ah, I'm going to get faith. You go to church because you have faith. Faith produces works. Someone once said this, you don't do to believe, but your belief does. I'll say it again. You don't do to believe, but your belief does. I was in, I was in DeWitt, Arkansas. I was doing this, uh, I don't know, it's a revival thing. And this grandmother brought her two granddaughters, who were teenagers, brought the two granddaughters uh, up to me and said, hey, I want them to be baptized. Well, I, I hadn't seen them before, or hadn't talked to them, and, and I didn't see them at church or anything. And, and so I was like, well, do you guys believe? And they're like, eh. And I was like, but they don't believe. She said, I don't care. I want them to be baptized so, so they're going to be okay. And I was like, look, I, I got to tell you, I said, they're going to go in the water, dry sinners, and they're going to come up wet sinners because they don't believe. And the girls were like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for real, this was happening. And the grandmother got really ticked off at me and said, I can't believe you said that and walked off. Come on, girls. See, what she wanted to do was to, to have salvation by works to get faith. And they didn't have faith. There was no response. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul says this. I love this passage. Paul says, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Get that. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he says your work produced by faith. It's pretty... It would, be, it would be good for us to take a look at the original language that the New Testament was written in, the Greek, because there's two Greek words for work. One is kapon, which is intense toil mixed with pain. It's translated labor. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, he says, your labor prompted by love. But isn't this the same word? No. This, this Greek word, your work produced by faith, is the Greek word kapon. Kapon. It's like, the best way, it's like working but not really knowing that you're working. Okay? How, how many of you, let me ex, ex, give you an example. How many of you here in this room are breathing? Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, some of you are going, yes, I am. Okay. I mean, you, you know, but is breathing a work? Yeah. But you don't sit around and think, I'm breathing, I'm breathing, I'm breathing, I'm breathing. It's a natural response to life that we have. It's a natural response. It's like working and not really knowing that you're working. You know, unless you have asthma, right, and then, oh, this is work. Or, or if you're a flatlander like me and you come up to the mountains and you're climbing around, then you're like, oh, man, this is work. You know, it's a, it's a natural kind of work. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. Your faith has a natural product. Your faith it produces this natural kind of work. James, the second chapter, verse 17, James says this way, says it this way, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by work, or let's put it this, it's the same Greek word, ergon, faith, if it's not accompanied by a natural reaction, is non-existent. It's dead. Galatians 5 and 6, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says it this way, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, 
that's works, has any value. Works don't have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself, and that's the verbal, that's the verb tense of ergon, but faith expressing itself in love. See, there's a, there's a natural response. Look, I, I grew up in the church, but I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Okay, I, I grew up in inner city Dallas, rough neighborhood. Uh, look, by the time I was 12, I'd been shot at twice, stabbed once. It was only with a fork, but it really hurt. And you guys are sadists. Eh? Oh, he got stabbed as a fork. It hurt. Okay? And, and I've been beat up. I can't say, I beat people up. I was not a good guy. I did not see the church connecting with my world. When I was 18, I let go of the branch. Said, God, you take this. And here's what I found. I had the faith, but there needed to be a natural response. And so I started reading the Bible, okay? I didn't like Christians. I, I, I didn't like people. Hated people. I just, I didn't, you know, grew up that way. And so, you know, but, but I read the Bible. And the Bible said, God says, hey, you need to love other people. I was like, no, God, you don't get it. That's not a part of the deal. Let go, Mark. Let go. Hey, let go. Love other people. No, 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 God. I hate people. Yeah, I, I, I know that. But you got you to gotta love. If you have faith, there's got to be a natural reaction. And I found myself saying, okay, God, I'll do that. I'll let go, and I'll love. See, it's a natural reaction. I love what Gary Holloway says. He says, faith, faith cannot be seen without action. Faith is seen only in deeds of love and compassion. It is always wrong to separate faith and deeds. This, this separation has led to much misunderstanding through history. Paul, like James, does not separate faith from action. Get this, it works together. James 2, 24, let's go back to that one. It says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So I guess the question that we have to ask is, do you have faith? And you're going, but Mark, we're in church. Nah. Do you have faith? Oh, but Mark, we call ourselves Christians. I, I get that, but do you have faith? Craig Keener, a theologian, says this. He says, genuine faith is reality, is a reality on which one stakes one's life, not merely passive assent to doctrine. We say we have faith, but have we let go? Brent Curtis and John Eldridge wrote a book called Sacred Romance, and in that book, they ask the question, are you a practical agnostic? Somebody who says you believe, but you, your actions don't show that. And here's what they, they define. Practical agnostics say this, perhaps God will come through, perhaps he won't, so I'll be hanged if, if I live as though he had to come through. I'll hedge my bets, and if he does show up, so much the better. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a student, a graduating senior, uh, spoke in chapel, and that's a great honor and uh, she was a psychology major, and when she spoke in, in, in 
uh, in chapel, she, she compared, she contrasted psychology and biblical views, and she shared this, that she had learned in a secular uh, seminar. She talked about cognitive dissonance. It's in psychology. It's for real. Cognitive dissonance. It's where, where, you have, where you really have arguments in the brain. Your brain should be thinking one way and it's another. Look, I'm ADD. I have cognitive dissonance all over the place. Okay, it's like, yeah, no, yep, yeah, no. And it's just that way. But she showed this chart. And, and look, see, this chart is like there's this front screen where your mind should be focused on that, but so often our mind gets sidetracked. And I was listening to that. I was going, man, that is, we should be fixed. Our brains as Christians should be fixed on Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. But we get sidetracked by hanging on to the branch. We get sidetracked with stuff of this world. We get sidetracked with money and relationships and all this stuff. James in the first chapter, this blew my mind. James in the first chapter, it's first century, it's first century psychology. James says, do not be double-minded. Cognitive dissonance. Focus your faith on Christ. I love, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, if you remember it, they, they stood for God no matter what, and they were threatened to be thrown in the fire, and they said, look, our God will save us. Listen to this. Our God will save us, but even if he does not, we will trust in him. Wow. Paul says in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 5, he said, there are those who have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. 2 Timothy 3, 7, a couple of verses later, he said, there are those who are always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. 1 Timothy 1, 7, Paul says, there are those who want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. In the margin, in the margin of my Bible, I drew a line and I wrote this question and it just, you know, ripped me apart. It said, is this you, Mark? Is this you? That you have a form of godliness but deny its power. That you're always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. You want to be a teacher of the law, but you don't know what you're talking about or what you, what you so confidently affirm. Man, just last Sunday we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is so much proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I just thought, man, it's Easter and, and the, the churches are full. And it's just like this is the most incredible thing in history. So what? So what if we don't believe and respond? James gives us a couple of examples of people who bought in. Bought in. One was Abraham. I just, I just wrote, Abraham was trusting God enough to obey no matter what. You know the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? I mean, God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only child, your only son. Go. You don't read in there where he's like, oh, wait a minute, God i got to hang on to that branch. There's no argument there. Isn't that incredible? God says it. He goes and is going to do it, and God stops him. Trusting God enough to obey no matter what. James 2, verse 22 says, You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith and his actions were made complete 
by what he did. Rahab, she's a prostitute. I mean, not a good life, all that stuff. But, but she's trying to decide, okay, do I side with God or do I side with these guys of earth? That's a question today, isn't it? I mean, have you watched the news? There's like, there's people mad on all sides. They're saying, no, we're right, no, we're right, no. In Joshua, I love Joshua is confronted with this man of God. He's a big, I I just picture like that guy. I mean, he's just, he's just (laughs) big guy. And, and Joshua just wants to get this right. He says, hey, are you on our side or on on their side. I love what the guy, the man of God says. He says, neither. I'm on God's side. Rahab said, I'm on God's side. Even though my life is not so good, I'm still siding with God. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of the branch. James 2 verse 26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I love the New Living Translation. It says, just as the body is dead without breath. There you go. So also, faith is dead without good works. You know, if if you have faith, then you do what God wants, right? I mean, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had my uh, grandchildren come and and spend the week with us. Uh, They were spring break and they came. I call them the three tornadoes. And so, uh, uh, six, four, and two, and the two-year-old... The two-year-old, I, I just said, look, here, you know, I, I need you, to, I want you to go do this. And she said, no. I'm like, wait a minute. So now I find myself, okay, I'm a grown human, she's nothing. You know, she, there. She's two years old, I'm old. I have far more wisdom than her. I'm bigger than her. And I find myself, I have a graduate degree, and I'm arguing with a two-year-old. And I'm going, let me ask you, who's the boss? And she goes, I don't know. I said, let me tell you, I am the boss. Say it. You're the boss. And I said, good. Now I want you to go and do what I told you to do. No. I mean, for real, I'm just... I backed up. I'm going. And I love hanging around little kids because they teach me about my relationship with God. I mean, for real. God says, hey, I want you to go do this. Oh, I I don't see it. And I can see God going, look, I spoke the whole world into existence. I have been forever and will be forever. Who are you? You're the little kid. Do what I tell you to do. No. <laughs> James 2.19. James says, you believe that there is one God. Remember the Shema. Good. But even the demons believe that and shudder. God is saying, hey, let go. If you have faith, let go. Malcolm Smith wrote this great book called Spiritual Burnout. And he talked about having a little dog named Fred. And their little dog named Fred uh, had the annoying habit of nipping at the legs of everybody that went by, especially the postman. And so the postman complained and said, look, either you do something about that dog or get rid of the dog. So they muzzled Fred. 
And Malcolm Smith had this interesting observation. He said, even though they muzzled Fred, he still lusted after all the legs that walked by, especially the postman. And he said, we had changed his behavior, but not his heart. We can change our behavior. But faith begins at the heart. Do you have faith? And is that faith a joy? You know, some of us, we walk around like Eeyore. Oh, yeah, brand new morning. You know, and we miss the adventure of letting go. Can you imagine the coolness of let go and just see what God will do in your life? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 and 8, he says, you welcome, he's talking about the church at Thessalonica, and he says, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Wouldn't that be awesome, a first Christian church, for it to be said, your faith in God has become known everywhere because you have faith and that faith is such an incredible joy that it rings out from you. What would happen if that happened? Do you have faith? And what is the response to that faith? What's the response? I, uh, I used to be in youth ministry um, and, and I learned early on that youth ministers do not get in the swimming pool with their young people because your young people try to kill off youth ministers. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I can remember uh, I had a group of guys, uh, not generic guys. They were, they were young men. There's about 35 of them, and we had this swim party. Look, here's the deal. If you have a swimming pool at your house, you are a target because youth guys look for people like you, and you're wonderful. And, but we were over at this house, and there were 35 guys. I was not about to get in the swimming pool with those guys. Uh, and so, but then they, they were grilling and they said, hey, we got, we got hamburgers, uh, hot dogs. And they're like, yeah, let's go. And so I got out. I thought, hey, now would be a good time to get into the swimming pool. That's my first mistake. My second mistake, I mean, I'm just swimming along and I was in the deep end. And I'm swimming, having a great time. And it was almost like you could hear music. Da-dum, 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 That's true. And I look up, and they're all around the swimming pool going, hey, we're going to kill off Mark Worley right now. <laughs> and look, I, I told you, I grew up in the inner city. I, I, I fight dirty, all that stuff. But, but there, were, there were 35 of them, and they, they were all there. And so they finally got me dunked. This is a true story, okay? They got me dunked. But once they got me dunked, they're all like treading water out in the deep end. And so they were either treading water or pushing up on anything solid under the water. That was me. I mean, once they got me dunked, this is true, they were pushing up on my body to stay above water till they could all disperse. And I thought, they're going to do this. They're going to kill me. I mean, it's one of the several times I've come close to death. And, I mean, my, my lungs were burning, and I was like, they're going to do this. I, I'm going to die. And, and my, I mean, for real, my lungs were burning. Air was escaping. I was like, I panicked. And look, I'm not ashamed to say I'm not ashamed to say that I grabbed a foot and I bit that thing. Oh, come on, you would, 
You would too. Even, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I'm scratching and imploring him, you know, everything, everything I could possibly, and finally broke the surface of the water. It's like, uh, uh, and I was like, are you guys crazy? And they were like, hey, we almost did it. <laughs> it's true, true story. You know, I thought about that. You know, what would happen? What would happen if Christians fought for our faith? like we fight for breath. Look, I, I know, okay, if one of you stopped breathing right now, I'm sure you would be courteous, you would be kind, you would wait patiently until I'm finished speaking, right? Before you draw attention? No, <laughs> somebody's speaking the truth. No. No, you, you would go, hey, me, no. And yet some of us sit in this room and our faith is weak and sick there's no response. And yet we sit here and do nothing about it. Maybe today. Maybe today it's time. Maybe it's time to believe. To believe so much that we let go and experience a great adventure of serving God. I got to tell you, the day I let go, the adventure began. Do you have the faith to let go and to respond to that faith with a natural response to a God that is incredible, who will take us and catch us and love us and direct us and save us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for raising from the dead. And God, some of us, we hear your voice that simply says, let go, and I'll catch you. And God, it's tough. It is tough to let go of financial problems. We want to take charge. It's tough to let go of relationships. We want to be in control. It's tough to let go of the things of this earth. But God, I pray that we would have the faith and the natural response to that faith would say, God, I'm yours. Be with my brothers and sisters right here in this audience that, God, we, we would put our faith in you and that faith would have a wonderful response of love and good works. And, God, that we would experience the adventure of letting go and watching you do your miraculous work in us. God, if there's anybody here who's holding on, I pray that this morning they would let go. In Jesus' name, amen.